the Incremental to Exponential podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast series from Capita, where we explore how big companies can innovate to survive and grow. I'm Justine Green, and each time we'll be meeting a special business guest to hear their story and opinion on our theme. Also, we're joined by Vivek Wadwa and Ishmael Amla, authors of the new book From Incremental to Exponential, How Large Companies Can See the Future and Rethink Innovation. Vivek is a technology entrepreneur and academic based in Silicon Valley. Hi, Vivek. Hi there. And Ishmael is Capita's Chief Growth Officer. Hi, Ishmael. Hey, Justine. And our special guest this time joins us from Los Angeles. It's Tiffany Bova, Global Customer Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce. Hello, Tiffany, and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Lovely to have you join us. Now, Tiffany, just take us on a quick spin through your background and how you ended up becoming a sales innovation evangelist. Oh, I, you know, I'd like to start by saying that uh, I have been in and around technology for almost 25 years now. I used to sell it. Uh, then I ran divisions of startups and Fortune 500 companies for sales, marketing and customer service. Uh, and then I spent a decade as a research analyst, research fellow at a group called Gartner. And now I've been at Salesforce for about five years. So I'm sort of a practicing academic watching trends in the market that uh, help companies grow. A sales innovation evangelist is quite a title. I, you know, I listen, I get a lot more comments about my title than I do about my content. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was a way of me uh, being able to sort of share what I'm passionate about and kind of what I'm focused on, but also to signal that you know, I'm not an executive that has responsibility for, uh, you know, people and revenue in that same way. I'm really I'm really just a resource for us to use to help support our, our clients and the broader shareholder community. I understand. Now, Tiffany, how has the world changed for you since all the COVID disruption? I understand that previously a lot of your time was spent traveling to give presentations. It was, you know, 2019, I flew uh, 375,000 miles or 600,000 kilometers and gave 100 keynotes on six continents. And then in 2020, uh, I was in Sydney on March 10th and just got back in before everything got shut down. And I had already hit almost 60,000 miles by March. So it was probably going to be another crazy year. But last year I gave 185 sort of keynote webinar sessions, uh, which was almost double what I was doing. So being grounded is good from a content production standpoint, but not so great from a you know, just a human interaction standpoint, that's for sure. Okay, well, let's bring Vivek and Ishmael in. A question for all three of you. Which type of businesses have pivoted fast to pull through these challenging times and therefore are currently best prepared for whatever the next wave of disruption will be? You know, I think that uh, companies such as Salesforce uh, are very much in tune with the future. I mean, this, you know, they already had a lot of people working remotely. They already had, uh, you know, and, uh, refined business practices. Their CEO is a really smart guy who knows how, uh, you know, disruption happens. So it's really not, you know, um, specific industries. It's businesses within those industries where the leaders were able to um, react rapidly. They weren't in a state of denial that change is happening and trying to be defensive. They leaped it. They took advantage of the change and they jumped on it. I think around COVID, what's been really interesting is an, a business's ability to be agile. And I think that is driven so much by the leaders, uh, as Vivek says, and, and in Salesforce, Mark Benioff in this case. 
But Agile, I think organizations that have started to use data to become customer-oriented really, really fast and in different ways. Uh, And finally, I think organizations that have aligned with a purpose, a bigger purpose than just the business, uh, around lives and livelihoods in this particular crisis around COVID, I think, have managed to behave and change dramatically to address the current needs uh, of the consumer base. And Tiffany? Well, I would I would agree with what what you both just said. And I, I would kind of give a little context behind that is it was maybe the April, beginning of May timeframe. Uh, Mark Benioff gave all of us a challenge of having one million conversations with customers. It wasn't one million sales calls. It wasn't one million demos. It was one million conversations. Uh, and it was very programmatically sort of deployed, if you will, uh, where those co- within those conversations, the information was captured. And sure enough, through that, we did a million and a half, actually. And, and in, in classic uh, Salesforce form, we've now been challenged to do five million. So, you know, blow out the number, the number moves. <laughs> so it's now five million. But Throughout those conversations, we actually were listening for what do we think customers are going to need to stabilize the business, to sort of get themselves back to work and back to the office, and the third, sort of get themselves back to growth. The reason I say this example is that shows sort of a Fortune 500 company acting like a startup, being very resilient, talking to customers, listening, and then actioning that those findings in such a way that sets us up for success in the future. Tiffany, tapping into your sales expertise, what can organizations do now to overcome the huge challenges they faced regarding growth recently? Well, you know, if if not overnight, uh, you know, over the course of sort of 30 days, uh, outside selling became virtual selling. And so many organizations that I've spoken to over the last 15 years uh, since advising companies on this, um, this particular topic on sales transformation, how many times I'd meet with field sales organizations and they'd be like, we have to be face-to-face. That's the way I sell. That's the way we sell. That's the way we establish relationships. And I used to try to get them to understand that the power of technology now allows us to have other ways that we can be very um, connected and engaging with customers. It doesn't always have to be face-to-face. And how do we get you Uh, the seller to spend more time selling, right? And adding value to customers, not doing the things like getting on an airplane or sitting, you know, in a car behind a windshield for a couple hours to go drive and see your customer for a half hour meeting. And I think this sort of force functioned, this transformation on sales, especially field sellers using technology in new ways to have these better engagements. So Tiffany, you've talked about how organizations have been adapted and tried different methods and that customers' expectations in some way has changed. Do you think customers' behavior has changed as well? Oh, full stop. The first thing I would say is that, you know, there used to be and there still is Um, this debate between B2B, right, business to business and business to consumer. And if I was talking to an organization that tends to be B2B um, and I was giving them Uber examples or, you know, uh, Airbnb examples, or this is what I'd get back. Oh, those are consumer companies. We are a B2B company. We're different. I'm like, really? Your customers don't want things to be personalized and valuable and, you know, all those. And well, no, of course they do. Okay, so it is the same consumer expectation. And in our research, we actually found that business buyers expectations are higher, higher than that of consumer expectations. And that means that our expectation in our consumer life will start to bleed over into business. So why is it in my business life? I have to see you. 
I can talk to my doctor, my kid's school, I can order groceries, I can do everything online. Why do I need to see you? That feels like as a brand, you're not willing to make those investments on a technology standpoint. And you have apathy towards your customers because you're not willing to actually do the things that they expect you to do. So I would say, yes, habits have changed. I don't think they're going to go back to the way they were. I think they'll fall somewhere in the middle. And if you don't learn from these super consumer behaviors, uh, when you, you know, try to do something in your B2B life, they will notice it and notice it right away. Okay, well, thanks for the moment. And we'll look at some unconventional strategies for growth next. Let's get each of your thoughts now as to where organisations have achieved growth by taking a different approach or strategy, particularly as a result of COVID. Tiffany? Through my research and through my conversations, I realised that there were a couple of things. One is, and specifically during this COVID time, is how you respond to crisis, how you take care of your employees, what you do for your customers, what your brand is saying now about a lot of the social issues that we have coming up on a global basis has it has impact and implications into the way that customers view your brand. Customers want to, to do business with brands they agree with, they agree with their values, they agree with their position, and they will also pull business um, when they don't agree with those things. The other thing from unconventional is these partnerships, these unlikely partnerships that have been formed during this time to solve some of our big issues, you know, around getting a vaccine out that quickly was could they could everyone have done it individually? Instead, they said, let's all get together and solve this together and look at the amazing results we had. So those, uh, you know, unlikely partnerships, even with people you compete with, I'd say those two things for me um, were uh, a very welcome change from the, you know, profit over purpose and that capitalism that doesn't care sort of about the shareholders and the communities. Vivek and Ishmael, which unusual or disruptive growth schemes stand out for you? I want to have a different perspective. You know, over the last uh, few months, I've interacted with more CEOs than I've ever have. You know, and there, I saw a big difference between um, uh, between these folks. Some were very uncomfortable now being on uh, Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever, and uh, really they couldn't react to it. Others thrived in this new world that they they, they were suddenly they were now more available. They were in uh, you know their t-shirts at home having casual conversations. They were available. It was easy to get through to them, and those were the ones who were also now accepting the fact that change is going to happen and they have to change their organizations. So really, it's a matter of attitude. It's a matter of culture. It's a matter of values. It's a matter of acceptance of change. The other thing that we found, actually, I found, is that during this period, the permission to break the rules has never been stronger as I've seen it across industries, across public and private sector. You see lots of examples of, of things happening in the industry now. We've got um, hotel chains offering their rooms for people who want to work, who have to work from home but actually haven't got the space. So the hotel rooms become the office suites. We've got grocery stores becoming fulfillment centers so people can pick up stuff from there. We've even got new products being introduced. So I was reading about uh, the GM self-driving car which didn't have permission to, because it wasn't an essential service, became an essential service because they said they would go and deliver food to the food banks. And suddenly it was an essential service. They could test the vehicle. The food banks could get an additional service. All the rules that were there traditionally had been broken. I would agree. I mean, you know, I think that COVID uh, has been a black swan event that's been a catalyst to accelerate change that needed to happen. 
uh, within a business. I can't tell you, you know, I've had hundreds, if not thousands of conversations where it's internal inertia that actually holds businesses back. And there was no hiding from it at this point because they were forced to do it. And so we had to learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And for many executives, this was really uncomfortable to your point about not wanting to be on a Zoom call or they're so used to being in their four walls and having very you know small group of com- people they have conversation with. And now it's like they need to talk to everybody and really sort of uh, again, it. So these are some of the things I hope remain, uh, you know, as far as empathy and the communication style and the sort of the collective conscious, if you will, but also the investment around technology, not to replace humans, but to make the power couple of humans and technology uh, serve the, the greater good and the customer and the employees in new ways. So reflecting for a moment on the enormous period of change we're going through, what lessons have been learned so far by those organizations that have diversified to grow, Tiffany? It's okay to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, Change is good. And, um, you know, being prepared to not get it right the first time. And how do you keep people motivated and knowing that it's okay, that it it, maybe it's a it's a lesson uh, to be learned so that the next time it's even better. I often say that executives have a choice. They're at a fork in the road. One, go back to the status quo. Two, embrace some sense of this change that we've now realized over the last year and now make it part of the status, the new status quo. Um, but you kind of can't live between those two things. So um, that's what I'd say. And Ishmael? I'd say two or three things. Firstly, I think one lesson is you've got to be on top of your data like you've never had before. And if there's any investment in technology that you need to make, it's got to be around the data, especially if you go remote. Secondly, leadership of remote teams isn't the same as leadership we're used to. So we're all learning new skills around that. Uh, and, and there's lots of uh, consequences of that. And, and thirdly, which is when you talk about innovation and great ideas, they come at the oddest times in collaboration with the oddest people when you least expect it. That doesn't happen when we're all sat in our rooms with very prescribed diaries. So serendipity by design is something, again, we're learning. But I think the best organisations are really trialling how that works. Tiffany, reaching people through conventional channels, including social media, is nearing saturation point. What new methods are on the horizon that will help businesses engage with customers in a different way? Well, I'd say two two things to that. One, I feel like uh, in the current platforms that you may be using, how do you just produce better content? <laughs> like, how do you just put things out that are more interesting, value-based, personalized, um, thoughtful, you know, all of that, right? So I think that there's improvement, even though saturated, how do you rise above the noise? Um, you have to show up with something better. On the other side of that coin, it is, okay, where you are not today, where should you be? You know, so are you not on Instagram? Are you not on Facebook? Are you not on LinkedIn in any real uh, concerted way? What does that look like? Um, and what does it look like as a brand, uh, number one? And what's sort of the personality of that brand? But number two, what are your employees doing on those platforms? So, you know, as we began this conversation with my title being an evangelist, that's my role, right? I'm out talking on multiple platforms and podcasts and webinars on social media, et cetera. And there's, there's, I'm not the only one. So how do you make sure that that tone and message is consistent? Uh, and that comes back to what's the culture of the brand. So, so I would say it's sort of twofold, getting better in where you are today 
And then where you should go in the future should be dictated by where are your customers? Where are they? Where do they go to learn and get educated about whatever it is you're selling? And where do they go to buy? And then how do you make sure that you meet them uh, with the right product at the right time in the channels that they want to actually conduct business in? And let's round off by getting all your thoughts as to what skills the sales force of the future will need to meet changing customer behavior and succeed. Ishmael and Vivek. What I've heard is that you now need to be able to communicate uh, effectively and provide value rather than just BS and schmooze. <laughs> Which was never the case, Vivek. <laughs> um, but but I, I do agree. I think, I think new skills, you've got to have some sort of content. You've got to be content rich and you've got to have eminence because everybody is reviewing you before you talk to them, right? So you've got to have some sort of online brand and have some eminence. The, the, the first thing I would say is if, if you accept the fact that by the time your clients contact you, they're a long way around down the uh, sales cycle and they have been educated. Now, they have not, may not have been educated to how you may have want to educate them. And there is a skill set around having to not necessarily manipulate, but de-educate and educate in a way which you think is more um, fit for purpose for that particular client. And that's the skill set that we haven't really, I mean, it's in some of the old solution selling spaces, but we haven't really engaged in. Tiffany, what attributes do you think salespeople are going to need? Well, you know, I think that there are a few things. One I'd say is many field face-to-face sellers had to learn how do I be interesting and engaging through a camera or on a telephone where I've almost completely relied on a golf game or a dinner or whatever um, to get customers to want to sort of spend time with me. So that has been a, you know, shift for them of how do I even do a, you know, compelling video call? How do I do a demo online? How do I get people to collaborate? Who should I invite? Like all of those learnings um, are no skills for field sellers. Inside sellers have been doing this sort of remote. They may not have been doing it via video. And so now they had to sort of learn what do I do via video? You know, I've always said that, you know, as a salesperson, you need to be a student of your profession, which means who's your customers? What industries? What do you know about them? What do you do every day? How do you write a better email? Do you want to start a blog? How do you do an interesting video call or even the, you know, executive roundtable that I did with, with this team? You know, it's, I could have been 45 minutes and they would have felt it was a complete waste of time, but it was, how do I know which questions to ask to pull out the executives, asking them individually questions. Once you know what their sort of hot buttons are, you have to navigate the room just like you would do it if you were face to face. And that takes time, you know, learning how to do it. And I honed those skills, thankfully, over a decade working at Gartner. And so they've served me very well over the last 12 months because I used to have to do that multiple times a day. And now I'm doing it multiple times a day uh, for Salesforce. But I had to learn that skill. So, you know, I would just say, be open to learn new things, even if you're you know, not very good at it. Um, but it, it's what we all have to do. I think everybody needs as much enthusiasm as presence as you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to work at it. Listen, like, you know, I don't want to put you to sleep. Like at the end of the day, I want you to feel like that was a good use of your time. And so, you know, there's a balance. Too excited, too boring. You know, right middle of the road, you know, start out slow, then get really excited. Like there's an art to it all. That's for sure. 
Tiffany, thanks very much for joining us. Great having you with us on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, that's it for now, but do subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss an episode. We'll be back with another special business guest. In the meantime, from me, Justine Green, Vivek, Ishmael and Tiffany, it's goodbye. The Incremental to Exponential Podcast. Back soon.